Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, everyone, on this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, hope you had, if not a happy one, at least a one. I know we're all you know, physically distant and the advice has been to uh, do virtual Thanksgiving. Um, some of us are going to be with near and dear in our social bubble, uh, but certainly uh, lots of prayer and love and light goes out to those who are on their own and don't have a social bubble and are just uh, eating alone. So um, let's keep everyone in mind and please let me know, of course, always what you think of the show. We are still, of course, recording not in the radio station here. The numbers have gone through the roof in Ontario, just so you know, those who are listening from outside our zone. But despite it all, I'm delighted for this panel because it's our faith panel. And today we're having two incredible women of faith. Both are going to share their journeys about what it was like for them, both clergy, um, one coming out of the Baptist world and one coming out of the United Church world to talk about, yeah, what it, what's it, it's been like and what it hopefully will be like, challenges, etc. Um, and of course, always interested in your feedback. You can reach me on social media, any platform you choose. And you may be listening to this on CIUT 89.5 FM or on our podcast on any of the podcast sites. So welcome all. And right now, welcome Cindy Bourgeois, Reverend Cindy Bourgeois. Welcome, Cindy, to the Radical Reverend Show. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. And June Joplin. Welcome, June, to the Radical Reverend Show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be back with you. So, Cindy, let's talk to you first. What's your journey been like? How'd you get to where you are now? Well, it all started when I was born in the Red River. Um, I actually, when I was a child, I was certain I was born in the Red River. I, in, I grew up in Winnipeg. And that was one of the things I would say every time we crossed actually the Cinnabon River, probably. But um, so I uh, transitioned in middle age. I uh, had spent maybe 12 or 15 years in like with psychiatric conversion therapy. Um, so then eventually I just, <clears throat> um, you know, decided I needed to uh, transition. And so I did. And I started going to church when I uh, heard actually about your church, Sherry DeNovo. Uh, it was at a, then called Emmanuel Howard Park. And a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, he uh, said, I think there's a, he was actually, he was actually thinking about converting to Christianity as a Jewish person. And he, um, so he said, I think there might be a church that would welcome you as a trans woman. And he said, I think so. He, and I said, no way. And he said, I think so. I said, no way. So then I started, I, I went with him and it was, uh, people were, welcoming and friendly and uh i started going to church so it's really in my my um my coming out story and my faith story are inextricably intertwined and i started really i went to church because i could just go hang out and be cindy right like that's what i was doing and what year was that cindy just to situate us uh that would have been probably 2002 2002 yeah uh um, I actually had transitioned after a couple, a friend of mine and my sister committed suicide in the previous several months. And part of it was like what the, I won't say what the bleep was uh, am I doing with my life? I've been told I can't swear people. So that's just the uh, CRTC for you. But um, the, uh, so um, yeah, it was 2002. And uh, so, you know, Back then, I was like the only, you know, whenever I met somebody, I was the first trans person they ever met, practically. You know, I mean, almost everybody. So uh, I hate to go to old days now. You know, for me, that's not even old days because I'm much older than that because I was middle aged at that time. So my old days go way back, but which uh, um, just means I'm old. But um, so uh, yeah, so I so I started going to church. I felt really at home there. Um, Sherry made it a very welcoming place. I don't know if people knew they were welcoming, but they knew they had to be welcoming. And so they're happy about that. 
The first person I spoke to was uh, Kathleen Ellis, was the first person I ever spoke to at, uh, at uh, Emmanuel Howard Park. And she was a elderly Jamaican woman who uh, came up to me at coffee hour and said, everybody is welcome here. It was just very adamant about it. So um, it was very lovely. And then, yes, I was going to church and I was really drawn to it. Uh, the one, the line I always use is that uh, I came for the community and stayed for the Christ because I hadn't actually been in church for a long time. Uh, and uh, so I came back to the church at uh, the United Church. I was actually raised Anglican for a bit when I was a kid. But um, so then, yeah, and then getting into ministry, it was like I, I was forced out of my business because I was coming out. I had a business teaching programming to uh, computer programming to children and my business partner forced me out. And uh, it was actually a good thing because uh, it was just a good thing. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it was out of transphobia too. Let's just name that. Um, and uh, so yeah, and so then actually it was, um, I was thinking about going into education because I've been teaching, I really like that. Um, go to Oise, but um, what I, but then an, an, a mutual friend of ours, Christine, suggested that uh, why don't you consider ministry? Because I was like, you know, going to Bible study, I was, you know, leading for leading Bible study when people weren't around, and I was doing bookkeeping at the church. I was very involved, and so I prayed about it and thought about it, and I went into ministry. I went to Emmanuel College in 2006, and. Uh, 2010, I was ordained, and um, uh, I was the first trans woman ordained, I think, in the world to a mainline denomination. There was a trans guy down in the States in the United Church of Christ. Um, I'm sure there were lots of trans ministers. I'm not the first trans minister ever. Let's get that straight. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I... Uh, and then I've been in ministry for 10 years now. I was in Stratford for three years, and now I'm in Regina. So. And what was that like, Cindy? Um, speaking here, of course, on the Radical Reverend Show, speaking to uh, one of two guests that we have on our faith panel, Cindy Bourgeois, Reverend Cindy Bourgeois, talking about her journey as a trans clergy person. And then uh, we will be talking to, to June uh, Joplin, uh, Reverend June Joplin as well, about her journey. Um, so, Cindy, um, once you graduated, what, what was the first charge like? I mean, was it difficult to find a place? What happened? Back yeah, then? I mean, it was actually, it was like the process, the United Church is a long, complicated process. Like, it's very interesting because I have, I have a very different experience in June and I know a couple other people in the United Church have a more, much more similar in that they transitioned they, they were transitioning in their community whereas I didn't I did the old school um, leave your leave your you go go to a new place and build a new life type of thing and so uh, the process was um, that people were very uh, afraid and they thought that some people would try to protect me but by doing so they would then uh, actually uh, limit me, um, you know, and I think even getting my first, like it was every step of the way, every step of the way, there was someone saying something. It was just like, I had to do some education and it was something where they just put another little barrier in front of me. Um, were they always intending to? No, but sometimes they were, they were just doing it out of their own transphobic system of governance. Right. And so, uh, when I got settled, because I we actually got placed back in those days, um, I got settled to a charge where it was not full time, and it was a it wasn't a I wasn't a, I wasn't the leader the leader in, in, a, in a the leader of the I wasn't a lead minister in the church, so I was in a leadership role, but there was a, a minister and I didn't get to preach. So a trans woman, the first trans woman's ordained, doesn't get to speak, right? Um, and uh, people say, oh, they just want to make a safe place for you. But um, really, you know, if, if my colleague didn't quit halfway through my three year term there, they would have my career might have not gone because I wouldn't have had a chance to preach. And they wouldn't have heard my voice, you know. So um, it's it's always these sort of um, but to me, it's not my problem in the United Church is not people saying, I mean, this happens. Sometimes this happens, but it's but the big problem is not people saying that trans woman's a weirdo and a freak. We must get rid of her. I mean that happens sometimes, but 
that's not my biggest problem as a minister in the United Church of Canada. My biggest problem is that our systems are, 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 are set up so that it discriminates against trans people and black people and indigenous people and disabled people. So that's my, where I face it. I face it in the structure of the church doesn't really promote, um, doesn't really uh, uh, promote diversity, you know, or really work for the marginalized or, um, you know, lift up, lift up diverse voices, right? Doesn't go into, um, you know, it doesn't go into the villages and heal the sick with the, with the lepers. It keeps itself very organized and Euro and white. And it's very, uh, and very cis and very able. And so it's, it's very frustrating, but, you know, I, I, other people have it much harder than me. So like I'm a trans woman with a job and I never forget that, right? Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. a trans woman with a job, right? So I don't, yeah. you know, so I know my privilege too. Thanks. Uh, speaking uh, to Reverend Cindy Bourgeois here on the Radical Reverend Show. Um, and Cindy, as you were speaking about the United Church, um, I was thinking that uh, since, you know, over my history with the same organization, it's become more and more and more congregationalist, which carries with it a problem, which is uh, that sometimes the congregation is not as educated and not up to speed as some of the leadership. And sometimes they are, but a lot of time, um, they're not, and they don't have to give a reason why they don't hire somebody and why they do hire somebody. And that's also a problem. I'm, I'm gonna turn now to uh, Reverend June Joplin. Um, June, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show again. And uh, tell us about your story, your coming out story and uh, your story in ministry. Well, sure. First, I just wanna say thanks to, to Cindy for um, just being herself, you know, this is, a, we, we actually, I've known about Cindy for a while. This is the first time, I guess, we've kind of been proximate to one another, uh, knowing that there were wonderful trans women doing ministry out there gave me a little bit of courage to be myself. I have a picture of her and Allison Robinson and one other trans woman presiding at um, a communion saved to my hard drive that, like, it's been kind of on my dreams board, so I just want to uh, kind of fangirl a little for Cindy and say thank you for um, paving the way for, for someone like me. It means an awful lot. I'm honored. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was actually, I was listening to a, a radio interview with Bishop Michael Curry this morning of the Episcopal Church down in the States. And he was talking about how when he was a little kid, he would preach sermons to stuffed animals. And it got me to thinking, um, it's, you know, it's October, Halloween is coming up. The first Halloween costume I can remember for myself, and I grew up in a very kind of conservative Christian environment that was kind of looked sideways at Halloween. But the first Halloween costume I remember dressing up as was as a preacher. So I wore a big cross pin and I carried a Bible and I put like, a, you know, like a suit and tie on. I think I was maybe three or four years old. It's something I've been thinking about and, and kind of wanting to do with myself. I can remember telling my kindergarten class when we went down the line and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there were a lot of firemen and, you know, police officers and the things and cowboys or whatever that, and I said, you know, I want to be a minister. So it's something that's kind of, I've had inklings about for most of my life. Um, interestingly, it's fascinating how my sense of kind of vocation and my sense of gender identity have been on like parallel tracks. Um, and by the time I was maybe 11 years old, um, I went away to summer camp um, on an island, sleeping in cabins up in upstate New York with my church youth group. And there was a women's, there was a girl's side of the island. There was a boy's side of the island. By the end of that week, I had realized two things that one, I was supposed to be a preacher and two, that I was supposed to be on the girl's side of the island. Uh, I came home from that experience. This would have been in 1990 when I was about 11 years old. And I came home and realized that um, those two dramatic revelations that would change my life were there was one that I could talk to people about. And there was one that I just had to bury as deeply as I possibly could because it was probably sinful and it was shameful. And it was just something that maybe it was a phase that would just go away. So, I mean, there was this sense in me, but I also recognize, like, I absolutely, even when I was a kid and would have rather been a girl, I absolutely never, ever wanted to say anything about it because of the environment where I, I grew up. Um, 
so I really stubbornly from about the age 11 or 12 um, followed a call to ministry. And, um, you know, as somebody being perceived as a little white boy in a, in a Baptist church in the country, I got all kinds of affirmation. My pastor embraced me and um, gave me opportunities to lead in worship. I got to preach my first sermon like on a youth Sunday. I was probably 12 years old. I, I can't imagine it was a very good sermon, but, you know, I got through it. And, um, you know, eventually I uh, just kind of followed, I guess, kind of the script I was handed. I, I got married very young, um, went away to seminary in my early 20s, finished seminary by the time I was about um, 26, 27, started a family, started a career. Um, you know, I, I, I think I did okay with my career. Um, I was part of like the denominational leadership. I was on the board of directors for my denomination. I was... I got to serve um, on the like the board of directors for our local association. I was doing all the little things that I think, you know, young promising pastors are supposed to do to become prominent big steeple pastors. And that was kind of my goal because I, I figured that was supposed to be my goal. Um, and June, just situate this a little bit. Where were you? Where in the state? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I was born in uh, Western North Carolina. Uh, part way up into the mountains. Um, I grew up there going to church there. My first like youth ministry jobs were there in North Carolina. And then I attended seminary um, in Richmond, Virginia, um, and took my first pastorate, full-time pastorate at a, at a church in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I was there seven years at that church. So between seminary and my pastorate, um, I was in Richmond, Virginia for 12 years. Um, started a family there was very briefly a homeowner in Richmond, Virginia. Sometimes we look back at those days and just like, wow, um, can't believe it. Um, I started to grow a little disillusioned about being Baptist in the South. Baptists are just the predominant church in the South. And whenever any Christian denomination becomes that influential, it just, it, it's not good. So we were in the cultural driver's seat in the South and we used our cultural influence very poorly. Uh, to do things like uh, reinforce um, white supremacy, misogyny, you know, I, I was in seminary when I learned that the Southern Baptist Convention was founded specifically to uphold slavery in the 1840s, and they didn't apologize for it until the 1990s, and even that was kind of controversial. I don't think they got unanimous support for that in the 1990s, so part of, part of what brought me to Canada was this sense that based on our history, um, a really radical, really progressive, kind of subversive denominational history, Baptists are actually really wonderful when there are very few of them. I always like to tell the story about um, Nancy Ladan, who was a Roman Catholic priest, uh, transitioned in 1979. Of course, she couldn't be a Roman Catholic priest after transition, but when she got back into church work, she got into a Baptist church in Charlotte, North Carolina in the early 1990s. So, I mean, we, we have a long history of in very small doses being incredibly welcoming and affirming. Um, but on the whole, Baptists tend not to be that way. So always have to kind of put that disclaimer out. Um, I, I came to a church in Mississauga um, in part because I saw, you know, this is a really healthy church. It's full of wonderful folks and there aren't Baptist churches on every corner in the Toronto area. So like if you go to a Baptist church, it kind of means something to you. It's not just, well, that's the church that you know, there's 50 Baptist churches in my neighborhood. So I'll just go to this one or this one or this one. Like there's a little bit more intentionality. Um, so I, I started, moved here with my family in 2014 uh, became permanent residents around 2017, 2018. Um, and all along that nagging, persistent sense that something was off. Um, you know, we call that now, I didn't know at the time, but, you know, in, in hindsight, it was gender dysphoria, the sense that my assigned sex and gender identity were totally incongruent with one another. Um, it, it never went away. You know, I kind of thought, you know, there's a great line in one of my favorite songs. It says we all have holes to fill and the holes are all that's real. And we, we spend so 
we spend so much of our life trying to fill those holes. And I assume that this one could be filled if I got that good job at that good church, making a decent paycheck, you know, um, my family could be comfortable. I could stay there and be happy for 15 or 20 years. You know, the church I served had a long, had a history of keeping pastors for 12 to 15 years. And I thought, this is great. Life is going to be stable. And so um, as I got settled into that job, um, the, the sense didn't go away. Meanwhile, because, you know, we're, we're living and working here in Canada, myself and my two kids got into, into hockey because, you know, it was just kind of our way to fully embrace the culture of this new place where we live. So we've all three become hockey players. Um, and there was one season that I was the team manager of the team. So my job was like to be like the snack calendar mom in the, in the, in the hotel, you know, all that stuff when you went to a tournament, stuff like that. But in order to do that, I had to take this webinar that Egal Canada put together on respect in sport. Or no, it was um, it wasn't the respect in sport one. It was one about um, understanding discrimination on the basis of gender identity, gender, and sexual orientation. And it was the first time I'd ever had that stuff explained to me, like laid out in front of me in, in such a way that I could really like piece everything together. And that was probably in late. 2017 that kind of the light bulb went off and uh, by early 2018 I was ready to admit that yeah I've I've been living for most of my life with questions about my gender identity so got into therapy um, by the by the end of that year I had moved from a place of just saying I have questions about this and I was really afraid to admit what I think I knew to be true, but by the end of the year, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a transgender woman. I need to start making plans to transition. I need to talk to my doctor. Um, and uh, spent a lot of 2019 doing that. And, and then, um, you know, came, uh, came out to um, my kids. You know, one of the first people that I told was my spouse. Um, um, came out to my kids probably February, March of 2020 this year. Uh, COVID happened. Church went uh, online instead of in person. So I was able to more or less socially transition in mid-March and just, you know, throw on a, um, a, a big dress shirt and put my hair back um, for, for Zooms for church and people read me as male. And then... Um, came out in my sermon on um, June the 14th, 2020. Um, Which I just have to say is still out there. On it is, YouTube. yeah. That is absolutely beautiful. So uh, listeners to this show, please check out June's sermon. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, June. Go ahead. So that's something that had been in the works for a little while. Um, uh, the timing was, it didn't have so much to do with COVID or anything else, just as like the, the life cycle of my church. And it seemed like, okay, this this is a time when, you know, COVID notwithstanding, we will have um, undivided attention to focus on, you know, I, I didn't know what they were going to do, but I thought, you know, your pastor comes out and transitions, it's a big deal. Um, so I preached that sermon, sent letters out to different folks in the congregation, a letter to the um, staff, a letter to the um, executive council, a letter to the uh, general congregation. And by that evening, I'd gotten a, a response back and said, um, you know, dear Pastor June, we've gotten your letter. We're going to like talk and pray about this over the next couple of weeks. And so it was kind of promising, you know, they, they, um, the church where I was serving changed my name in the email. They put up a new photo and bio on the website. I was very proud of that because for that brief period of time, I was the only, as far as I know, the only trans woman pastor in Canadian Baptist life. Um, I don't think there's been others, but I'd love to be proven wrong. Um, but over the course of five weeks, um, you know, I, I talked to different groups within the congregation. We worked with like a consultant. Um, I answered questions. I fielded, I responded to emails. Um, I told my story to church leadership, to members of the congregation. We would have these congregational meetings with like 
every member of the congregation and their brother and sister. We would have like three and 400 people and we've never had that many folks. And I'd see in the Zooms, oh, that's like, that's like Steve's cousin from Ottawa who just wants to, wants to watch what's happening and eat popcorn. So we'd have these huge meetings and I'd have to like basically explain myself, tell my story. It was the most, exa- most emotionally exhausting couple of weeks of my life. But the whole time I held out this glimmer of hope that, you know what, like, this might actually work out. And then a congregational vote was held in, um, in July, July 20th. And um, this, the votes cast to terminate my contract won by, I think the, the vote totals were 58 to 53. So like 52% to 48%, I lost. And so um, I lost my job and, um, and then the story kind of got big. That's, you know, like I talked to CBC and BBC and Fox News and New York Times. And um, since then I've been doing a lot of guest preaching um, and uh, just connecting with, I was talking to a United Church group on Wednesday that's having their vote to become an Affirm United congregation soon. Um, I'm not preaching anywhere this Sunday. I got the weekend off, but um, that, that's mostly what I'm doing. I know that listeners will, um, and uh, our listeners have heard your story, June, and this is more of your story, and we love to hear your story. I mean, it's a story of incredible hope, um, despite the fact that you lost your job at the end of it. Um, I mean, the vote was very close. It's astounding, and that's on you. Um just in terms of where you're at now, um, family, uh, job, I mean, where do you want to be um, and where are you? You know, that's a really great question. Um, I'm so new in the transition. You know, one of the things I was I was pointing out to somebody recently is, you know, I've been a woman for four, almost 42 years and I've only started living as myself for in the last three to six months. And somebody asked me not long ago, like, what's next for you? And I said, well, I have a hair appointment on Tuesday. And so that's honestly, that's the, that's the best way I can answer that question. Like I'm getting highlights, put in my hair, like, um, I got a new ear piercing on Tuesday. Like I just, it's just really basic, normal stuff that I think folks who transition earlier and cisgender women probably do in their teens and twenties. Um, that's, that's kind of what means the most to me. And, um, there seems to be this expectation or this desire for me to continue to be involved in ministry or advocacy or something like that. And, and, and there is, you know, I have this, I'm grieving and I'm hurting and I'm burned out. And I'm, you know, one of the things that's come out of my, um, this whole saga is I finally, just like I was finally willing to admit that I have questions about my gender transition or my gender identity I was finally willing to admit that the single greatest source of trauma in my life is Christianity, is the church. And so why do I ever want to go back? So whereas there are a lot of people that are saying, hey, our church needs a pastor or you should apply to work in this denomination or we would hire you. That's a really scary, scary thing right now. The last time I was physically in a church building, like I was almost shaking. I almost broke out in tears just by being on campus. So it's actually kind of a, it's a grace that I'm able to preach via Zoom because I don't know that I can do it right now. I don't know that I'll ever want to do it. Um, I don't have to do anything right now. You know, uh, one of my friends, uh, pastoral colleagues in the States set up a a GoFundMe for me um, and, and, Folks have been given really generously to that. And between that and a couple of other sources of income, I think I can make it like to the end of the year or January without having to go back into full-time ministry because that's probably my most realistic option. But, um, you know, some days I just think if, if, if the announcement came out that, you know, so-and-so United Church and so-and-so church has is proud to announce that we've called Reverend June Joplin as pastor, like that, that's not a good thing for me. That just makes me feel really anxiety, really anxious. Cause, and, and sometimes I pray that that will pass, but then again, I don't know, but I am doing, you know, I've got a, I have a website, um, pastorjune.com and it has most of my schedule on it so and I try to live stream all my sermons most most churches I guess are doing zoom and so I'll set up a separate live stream just for my sermon for folks that want to tune in on Sunday mornings and I try to keep those posted um because I think a lot of folks want to connect that way 
Thank you. Um, if you just tuned in, uh, please listen to the whole interview on uh, on podcast later, uh, talking to Reverend June Joplin um, about her coming out story and about her story in ministry. And earlier, uh, Reverend uh, Cindy Bourgeois, the same. Um, Cindy, I want to uh, expand this conversation out now um, to both of you. As you were listening to June's story, Cindy, what came up for you? What were you thinking? Um, well, I, the two things that really hit me the most were, I mean, like, we all have our own transition stories, but both June and I transitioned later. So, you know, we have a similarity in that sense. And so I saw myself in a lot of those things. We have a different life, but, you know, there's, there's commonalities, but was the close boat in the Baptist church and also the idea that maybe the church isn't the best place for for June at this moment. Like that to me that like, you know, or you know, that that really that really hit me and I totally get it. I totally get it. I you know to me that's you know this idea, oh no, you we'll welcome you in this church. It's like, well the whole thing has been kind of you know the Christianity has been so transphobic for so long that it's you know is it really is it really the best place, you know, or is her life better spent elsewhere? And so that was that that really moved me. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, it did uh, me as well, June. You should know that. Um, I, and and just kind of as I was listening to it, I was thinking you have been through so much in such a short. I mean, it's not a short period of time. It's your entire life. But the coming out is, yeah, as you say, you're so it's so new to you. And, and you've gone through such trauma with it. Um, I mean, if you hadn't been in a pulpit in a, in a church, uh, it might not have been so traumatic, you know, it, um, it might've been, who knows, depending on what area you were in in your life, but, um, but it's particularly traumatic the way you, you mm -hmm. have come out. And even though um, you've been, you know, <laughs> you know, and I know this firsthand for, for, for many reasons, but, you know, it's, it's, in a sense, it's affirming when the press is all over your story and when you're telling it and when you're in the eye of the camera and then they all go away and you're kind of left with what? With yourself and, and your life um, and you still have to live it. So I, I, you know, all of that and happened in such a short period of time is overwhelming. Um, so I mean, and, and Cindy or June jump in here because, um, what I'd like to ask you both is, is there any advice? I mean, there there may be, and I'm sure are, uh, teenagers, you know, even younger listening to this broadcast uh, and thinking, and they're in church right now and they ring with that experience and, but they know that they're not in the right uh, body and they know that they're not cis. Um, any advice, if you could give advice to your younger self, to that, you know, 11 year old at the camp um, in a much more, you know, welcoming environment. Um, and Cindy, what, what would you say to that, that younger you? Well, I, you, you, the trans kids nowadays have such a different experience from trans, from, from me that I had as a child. Um, so in some ways I have nothing to say except to go be yourself and be wonderful you know and that you're wonderful the way you are and you know like really like their experience is so different um with different challenges and different joys so you know like go go and be i mean but also you know i also understand that and i'm sure jim can speak much more to this than me is that like if you're in a conservative Christian household, go be safe as well, right? Yeah. You know, because you know, like homeless, like the homeless youth is like not predominantly, but there's a lot of queer kids and homeless youth, and it comes from not just Christian families, but but from kids getting kicked out of their homes. So, you know, I guess maybe find some good allies that can, you know, if you need to spread out. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, it's such a challenging thing so you know but 
just know that you are wonderful the way you are. You know, your gender is your gender is on fire. You know what I mean? You're you're wonderful. You're amazing. And by the way, just before I go to June on this issue, uh, you should know in Ontario that conversion therapy, because Cindy, you had mentioned that experience in your life, is banned in Ontario. We're hoping that the federal government bans it across the country, criminalizes it, which only the feds can do. Um, That will surely, hopefully, touch wood pass. Um, But uh, right now you're protected. So don't let somebody tell you. Otherwise, it should not be happening. But um, any advice to somebody young person coming in? Yeah, I would echo some of what Cindy was saying. I've had, you know, I became self-accepting at 39, transitioned at 41, um, started HRT when I was 40. Um, I've had conversations with with other folks who've had similar experiences uh, about just, just pondering and wondering what it, what it will look like for maybe the next generation or even two generations of trans kids. And, and they'll have so little in common with us. Mercifully, they will have so little in common with yes. us. And um, I was in a support group not long ago where it was brought up that like, you know, that generation of kids has been born, like the last generation of kids that that is gonna have to, I mean, I think there'll always be folks who uh, have like dramatic midlife revelations about it, but you know, like. I'm friends with so many people who have trans kids under eight and encountering folks like that. It's always so bittersweet. Like it's, it's, it's amazing because they're just, you know, I was on a zoom with a, with a ministry friend of mine in the States and, and her little boy popped into the frame and said, hello, did you know that I'm a transgender person? And just smiling is, you know, just just the most exuberant, like, you, you know how kids do when they get on Zoom sometimes. And he was just so happy to say that to me. And I, I just was so taken aback. And I said, wow, did you know that I am also a transgender person? And, and um, oh, it was such a cool point of connection. But at the same time, you know, I realized like, his life is going to be totally different than mine ever was. Like he could tell his parents at five, six, seven years old. So it's beautiful, but then it's also, there's this sense of like, oh, you know, how could that not have been me? You know, how did I miss out? Or um, I I, I guess in terms of advice, you know, again, I don't, I don't know. um, Other than to say like, there's probably never been a better time to discover who you are. Um, folks born when I was born, folks born gener- I mean, there've always been trans people, but the, the journeys of trans people have gotten progressively, um, you know, some of the, a lot of the obstacles keep getting moved away and moved away. I mean, even like, you know, even in the States where it's a little, quite a lot harder depending on where you live, um, the day after I came out, the Supreme Court said, you can't be fired for being trans. Um, and of course, there are always, you know, ways that employers might try to subvert that. And a lot of times people will just sort of pull religion out of thin air as the excuse, which I think is what happened with me. But um, it's getting easier and easier. So um, be brave. Um, find your find your support, your your team, your network. That's what I did a lot of that two years between self-acceptance and transition and it, it made made all the difference. Uh, speaking to Reverend Junior Joplin and Reverend Cindy Bourgeois about their journeys as, as, as ministers and trans women. Um, and as you were speaking, both of you, uh, I was thinking uh, this young girl uh, who has, uh, her mother always brings, brought her to Queens Park every time I had a trans bill, like in Toby's Law named after the, the music director at Emmanuel Howard Park um, was passed adding trans rights to the Ontario human rights she was there for that and she was probably four years old and she'd already come out um, and she has been and her mother supportive family has been there for every other bill that's come through she's always there for trans day of remembrance and now she's you know like a pre-teenager and like can speak and anyway I just it's uh yeah it's it's quite a miraculous 
you know, moment to, and, and I'm glad you've had that moment to see that. And, and I have to just say, shout out to both of you, because you are, you are the, you know, the front runners, you're the groundbreakers, you're the ones that, that those children um, look up to. Um, So, so I wanted you to put your clergy hats on just for a minute and because we're Thanksgiving weekend here. So like um, challenges around that for you, um, pleasures around that. And, and, and what do you have to be thankful for at the end of the day? Um, Cindy, start with you again. Uh, well, um, I actually have to be thankful that I have a study leave this week. So I, uh, I'm not preaching on Thanksgiving either. And I get a week to read. I've actually been thinking about trying to, uh, write another one of the, one of the, another article that's been kicking around in my head about, uh, about, uh, eunuchs and trans women and things. So, uh, you know, I'm just thankful for, uh, I'm thankful for, for, uh, that even though you know I rage against the machine and talk about the discrimination that I that that I face and that trans women face and everybody and so many other people face in our world, you know I am thankful that uh, I'm able to just be out and be myself, and uh, that um, you know I know somebody we were talking to somebody mentioned you know miracles in church a while ago and I said well sometimes I think it's a miracle that I can just live my life the way I want to live my life so I guess I'll just be thankful for that this weekend and and uh, thankful for God's love. June, as you were you were listening, what are you thankful for and challenges that you're looking at? Are you able to spend Thanksgiving with your family? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, one of the challenges is. Um, you know, celebrating Thanksgiving during COVID and especially with the recent uptick we've had in cases here in Ontario. Um, I, I had a group of friends, all trans friends were going to come over for, I was going to make, I had two turkeys in the fridge. I just had to move one to the freezer because we've had to um, cancel tomorrow's get together. Um, so, so that's a challenge. I think there are a lot of families that will be kind of separated this year. Um, my family in the States, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know when I'm going to be able to see them face to face again. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite different than the last time they saw me. So I think like there's something about being physically present that, that helps people like come to grips with and understand that this person in our family has transitioned. And so the sooner that day can come, the better, um, I am getting together with my immediate family here, my, um, my ex-spouse and, um, two kids and, um, that's going to be maybe Sunday, maybe Monday. And, uh, I, I just, I love that. I, I love cooking a big Thanksgiving meal. Um, I just love the like sacredness of the table. Um, you know, as, as somebody who in ministry has often invited people to tables, both like in fellowship meals and like the Eucharist or Lord's supper, um, I, I recognize that we have a long history of gathering around and being formed in community uh, around tables. So I think um, a good occasion where you can just sit down and have a good, good uh, nourishing meal and spend um, meaningful time with family is, is something to be profoundly thankful for. And, and I, I really am. I just, I just got back, I just got back from the grocery store picking up stuffing and cranberry sauce and, um, a couple of those other things to make the make the big meal this weekend. Something I didn't ask you, June, uh, when you were telling your your story initially. Uh, you're American, June, and I wanted to. Yeah. I should have said something about that in light of the election coming up. Um, last week we had uh, on the show we had Sandy Hudson. Uh, it was our Law and Disorder panel, so I had lawyers. But Sandy H- Hudson, who's the founder of Black Lives Matter Canada, was on, and another oh, lawyer from the congregation who's a strategist from um, the states talking about it. But I wanted to get your take. What is happening south of the border, uh, and uh, what do you think? Um, it's just, it's an, it's all too much to take in. You know, um, I sent in my ballot. I still vote as a Virginian absentee. So that went in the mail, uh, Monday or Tuesday of this week. So did what I can do, uh, a very small thing, but an important thing to, to help bring change down in the States. And, um, it's so disheartening uh, I was I was telling one of my friends who's quite active and and political here in Canada how I feel like 
Americans who live in the States are, are quite worried, quite anxious. Canadians watching what's happening in the States, likewise quite anxious. As an American who has more or less fled to Canada, like my anxiety level is probably a little lower than some of those two groups, but it, it, it's quite high. And, and, and um, perhaps the most, you know, I can remember um, four years ago when we were likewise disheartened, um, telling friends of mine, uh, because the polling suggested a very different uh, result on election day. And I said, you know, Thank God, evangelical Christianity in the states has declined to the point that even though they're going to vote for Trump, like 70, 80 percent, there's just not enough of them to put him in the White House. Is that so, true? That's the first I'd heard that. Well, that's what I said four years ago. <laughs> I was wrong, obviously, um, uh, sadly, but um, that was what I was reading and that was what I was understanding that 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 evangelical Christian voting block, which continues to be um, even after four years, one of the most staunch um, constituencies for for uh, Donald Trump. It just that's so so hard to stomach. And um, uh, so when I when I hear statistics about um, American Christianity in decline or evangelicalism in decline. I just, you know, it's hard for me not to crack out the champagne and celebrate because good riddance, you know, if that's what it's going to bring into the world, like that, that movement within the church needs to die and be reborn. Amen to that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hashtag Christian right is neither. Absolutely. And there'll be so many people listening to this show who are not Christian, not religious at all. And, and are probably the biggest question in their minds is, what are you doing in the church at all? Um, so maybe we can go out. Yeah, let, let's hope this is a positive note, Cindy. Um, I'm in the church as a follower of Jesus, and that's really what's important to me. Um, and really, I do try and uh, focus on that when I look for meaning in my vocation. Um, so sometimes, often the church is a uh, hindrance to that call. And I know you both have experienced that. Um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I do think there are some things that, that you can do. And I really think one is actually, you know, piggybacking off of what June said is part of my call is to actually fight the Christian right. You know, that's part of why I, that's why theology is important. That's why I still think like a, a, a liberal or a post-liberal or an anarcho-Christianity is important. Um, so that we, that's a big thing. And it's that the, our world has been formed for better or worse by, uh, you know, not completely 100%, but by the dominant religion, which is Christianity. And if we're going to untangle the mess that we're in, then there has to be some sort of engagement with current expressions of Christianity. So I guess that's why I'm in the church. And, and so June, why are you a Christian still? Um, I have to say, um, and Cindy could probably echo this, but I have a lot of trans women friends that are atheists and I'm so jealous sometimes. Uh, that that I just can't get there. Um, Maybe you will. I don't know. I I, I um uh, I. We'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, I believe you, you know there are little things that that in, that inspire me to keep believing, to keep being a, a woman of faith, and to believe in God. You know, like good poetry and fiddle waltzes and constellations in the sky at night. Um, when my, when my youngest climbs into bed with me, um, I, I don't know, I, like, I, I'm, I'm compelled, um, by the Jesus story and the welcome, the unconditional welcome and confession that the church makes at the table of Eucharist. Um, and, um, I'm inspired that just this group of absolutely crazy people 2,000 years ago 
had the just audacity to say that that brown homeless peasant living on the edge of the Roman Empire in occupied territory executed on a cross like that's god that's what god looks like god doesn't look like caesar god doesn't look like pharaoh god looks like that person who and god is in fact dwells within that person who is about as marginalized as could possibly um be and i i think there's something um supremely compelling about that confession that just will not let go of me <laughs> as 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 often as I feel like um it's got a hold of me the way that that angel had a hold of Jacob when they wrestled all night it just won't let go of me it just won't and so um uh, I I I'm angry at God a lot but um the good news is that the scriptures are full of people who are just so mad at God and their stories um, get canonized. You know, at some point, the, the people in charge of putting the scriptures together said this person who would just like I was reading Moses's story with Moses and God just they had the most tense relationship. They were mad at each other all the time. And, and uh, I was reading part of that story the other day and said, you know, that that somebody had the wisdom to say this part of the story where Moses is furious at God because God was going to do something kind of awful, you know, kind of, uh, and Moses said, no, you can't do that, God, because what will people say? And God, you know, changed God's mind. Um, that people had the good sense to say that goes in. We're not editing that out because that's authentic. That's real. And uh, a community that can tell the truth like that is, is one that, I can't walk away from. And on that beautiful note, I think we will end this. You have been listening to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you so much, Reverend June Joplin. Um, and uh, just wish you all the best in your life. Uh, it's an incredible adventure. And thank you for preaching to us today. <laughs> and, and ditto Reverend Cindy Bourgeois. Thank you for your life and your witness. Um, and I can't think of a better Thanksgiving um, bit of preaching and witnessing than we have experienced in this last hour on the Radical Reverend Show. So have a very blessed Thanksgiving, a happy Thanksgiving out there. Till the next time, take care. Let me know what you think. Bye. Mm -hmm.